This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, Pete Caputo, CEO of Databox, shares a method he believes is a better way to do marketing and sales. He calls it collaborative growth. If you feel like your outbound is getting ignored, your marketing content is just average, and that it's increasingly hard to stand out from all the noise and drive inbound, then this episode is for you. You'll learn how you can partner with your target customers to better build relationship with them, create better marketing content, and stand out from the competition. I hope you enjoy it. Pete, welcome back to Metrics and Chill, the podcast (laughs) that your company hosts. Excited to chat with you today about collaborative growth. Let's do it. Um, So for listeners, this is a framework uh, uh, Pete's going to walk us through. Basically, we're going to have a conversation around collaborative growth as a new way of thinking about doing more, um, more impactful marketing and sales. Um, So I guess as a way of getting into it, talk us through why you think this framework is necessary. So you've, you've often like, if you follow Pete on LinkedIn, if you're listening and you follow Pete on LinkedIn, a lot of you probably do. um, He writes about this concept in this framework a lot as a better way of doing, you know, inbound or outbound than it's traditionally been done. What do you think is kind of wrong with the way people are doing it now and why this is, why this new method is kind of necessary? Yeah, I think there's so many things wrong with the way companies are selling and marketing now. And um, I think the biggest one is they're talking at their prospects, talking at their customers uh, instead of talking with. Uh, and, and, and it starts with, you know, the ticket sales person, it starts with them doing their outreach. They're literally pitching and like positioning their services to people they don't even know. Right. And then you have marketers who spend most of their time just repeating themselves, their messages, their, their points, um, their positioning over and over again, you know, and they're, it's like a, they're, they have a megaphone whether sales and marketing, you have a megaphone and you're in a, in a, uh, a Coliseum with nobody in it. Right. It's like, you're just, they're just talking whether there's somebody in it or not, it doesn't affect what they say. Um, and I think it's important that, uh, as salespeople and marketers, we learn to treat our prospects with maybe a little bit more respect, um, and recognize that our prospects, prospective clients, customers, whatever have, valuable insights themselves um, have knowledge and experience that you can learn from as well. And, and as marketers and salespeople, our jobs should start with extracting knowledge and their experiences from them. And with permission, of course, sharing that knowledge and experience with others. And so instead of a company saying, we're the experts at this, the company's demonstrating their expertise by aggregating and curating knowledge and data about their industry, about what they do. And, and that is a better way to start a relationship is you're, you're starting, you're starting your relationships by, um, by aggregating and, and sharing uh, insights from, of, from the community, not from your own brain. Yeah, I know one of the ways that you have said it that has been clearest to me or most impactful to me, and I, I see you talk, this is like a couple of common refrains of you on social, is like a, a lot of it is around, okay, your cold outreach is poorly timed and un, unwanted and unwarranted. It's completely selfish. It's completely focused on, I mean, even hypothetically, right? Salespeople would say, well, we're trying to lead with like what we can do for you, but it's unwarranted. The timing is wrong. There's nothing. And if I'm not in market for that solution, there's nothing of value to me here, which this framework or this method solves. And the other thing was you, you were saying uh, before I pressed record, you had a way of framing it. I'm curious if you can remember how you did it. Cause it was, it was good. The uh, like inbound and outbound are still like broadly the two methods you're going to grow your business, right? You're going to go out and tell the market that you exist or people are going to come into you. You're not trying to like do away with that as an idea. It's just, I think you said it was the timing and, and the message that you take. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, um, we, we travel in circles where, um, companies like to say, I do inbound marketing or I'm doing inbound marketing. And, or they say, no, we're, you know, I'm doing 
outbound. We're doing, we're going after target customers and we're reaching out to them and we're advertising in front of them. We're sending them gifts in the mail or whatever it is. Like there's these two methods that have kind of evolved. Um, and it's like our circles because we're like HubSpot influ influenced the world, I think, and created this inbound concept. And, and then uh, as a reaction to that, salespeople are like, no, we're not going to sit there and wait for prospects to find us, right? Um, and we're going to go out and get it and hunt hunt down our hunt down our prey. Uh, and I think that debate like almost distracts from the point of inbound, which was do things that are helpful for your prospects and customers. Um, and and that can be applied in any, no matter whether you're making the initial outreach or whether you're waiting for, or whether your prospect makes the initial connection, right? So it doesn't really matter whether this starts inbound or starts outbound. It's an approach where your first step is to compliment your prospects and engage them in a dialogue to learn from each other. And so it really doesn't matter the direct now, I do think collaborative growth is timely because what I'm hearing and what we're seeing in data is that inbound's getting harder and outbound's getting harder. I think no one will argue with me that outbound has gotten harder. Like it's easier than ever for salespeople to like buy a list, send out emails, right? There's yeah. technology now you can send thousands, one person can send thousands or tens of thousands of of personalized emails now, um, semi-personalized emails. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, and we all as buyers get inundated with pitches from, from people, positioning from people. Some of them are good, but the vast, vast majority of them are just like, I don't, you on my list, you have a title that I care about and a business that I sell to, I want to pitch you. Right. And like, the, we know that that gets like single digit percentage response rates, if that for most most companies. So that's that is waning, right? But I'm also seeing in our data that inbound marketing, at least in the way that um, the companies have have done it over the last decade or so, the effectiveness of that is also waning um, because there's just so much competition. Um, mm -hmm. Every channel is 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 um, you know has so much competition, like. We we have and every company is you know, there's more companies. It's easier than ever to create a company and start marketing yourself. And there's just so much noise in the market. Like every week, I feel like I run into a company that's trying to compete with us. You know that a lot of them don't make it. They don't get very far or whatever. But but there's there are people out there trying to get attention for the same things we're doing. And it's hard for buyers who don't know that we're one of the top of, you know, companies in our market to like sort the noise from, from that. So, uh, and SEO is getting more crowded, right? It's not, we're not just competing with, with uh, our direct competitors. We're competing with, in some cases, our partners uh, who are writing about content related to our product. And there's, you know, overlap between our product and theirs, but, uh, and so it's just getting harder and harder. Every channel seems to be um, uh, getting crowded there's also so many channels for a marketer to try to yeah. tap into, right? Like it's like, where do you start and how deep should I go with this one? When should I give up on this one and move to the next one? So I think it's not so much the tactics. It's not about inbound or outbound. It's not about the tactics in either one of those. It's about the approach that companies take that they need to rethink. They need to stop thinking like they have everything figured out and that they're the experts and that they're going to tell the world about it and everybody's going to want to work with them. It doesn't work that way. In fact, expertise needs to evolve. The, the, the world's real experts are the ones that are committed to doing research, understanding the world around them and, and seeing the patterns in, those, in that data and synthesizing that back to the market. And so what your every company needs to embrace is this idea that the world's going to keep changing, keep getting more competitive. And that they need to spend time learning from their prospects and their customers as much as they're spending time trying to educate their their prospects and customers. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, an example of that that I just saw this morning. Um, so this is really good timing. Is I was scrolling LinkedIn and saw uh, Dave Gerhart did a post, you know, that that grabbed uh, a bunch of people's attention that said 
I'm not sharing, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, sharing expertise or weighing in on B2B marketing anymore. I've been out of the game for too long. And then it's like the catch of course is like, I'm sharing insights driven from the community. Right. So he's doing this exact thing, you know, kind of what you're talking about, like this perspective of like the stuff Dave could say, there are obviously Dave is talented. There are philosophical and higher level knowledge things he could bring. Um, but that those are things that he's going to the, the, the philosophical things that are maybe evergreen, he can still share, but his point was there's a lot of day-to-day things changing and I'm going to pull it from my community and from this target market that I'm trying to reach. And I'm going to share that with other target audience members. So I think something yeah. else just to, just to add to a couple of things. I, didn't, I missed there. that one. I have to go chime in. I, I, you know, Dave's Dave is a smart dude and I'm sure he'll continue to share insights, but he's smart in that, like, he's not creating new insights that are, you know, that are, that are irrelevant to B2B marketers through his own experiences. He's building a community. It's a different business that he's selling something different than what say a software company would, which I think sure. is the biggest portion of his audience. And so the fact that he's realized that and instead he's going to aggregate and curate and tell the stories of his members, like then he'll remain relevant, right. Right. Uh, to his audience because he'll be seen as the guy that's having all these conversations with experts and practitioners and seeing the patterns and being able to relate that back to the audience so yes as I, I think two other things that came to mind uh, you know just as we wrap up this section on kind of what's going on in the market and why this kind of thing is valuable now is i know we've seen from our own attribution model our own self-reported attribution model we're seeing um that uh, chat GPT barred other things are increasingly like being reported to us. And I think there's a strong indication that the number of people searching for you and coming to your content versus just getting the answer from AI. Like I think search engines will send less. I think you did a post on this, send less and less organic volume to your website. So that's the other thing is people that are relying heavily on SEO, that's going to be changing in, in some way, although we don't fully know how, but it looks like they could be uh, search engines could be sending less and less traffic. And the other example is um, a lot of marketers, as they embrace demand generation or demand creation and take on this idea of adding valuable content, they're realizing they don't have the ability to either pay or utilize internal subject matter experts. Like they're realizing in order to make a really good podcast or to make a really good newsletter, they can't have like a junior marketer write it because it's not going to be relevant to their ICP at all. So what they're, what they're realizing is some people are advocating, well, you've got to hire someone. You've got to like go find the market expert and bring them internally. And that's really expensive. And I think what you're going to lay out here is a way of doing that that's just as good, which is crowdsource subject matter experts versus bringing one internally and trying to like be the only authoritative voice that you share. Yeah, you you just you you laid out a lot there. So to unpack it. So first of all, yes, I did post um, some data, actually, some benchmark data that shows um, while search volume, the number of people searching at uh, Google has it continues to increase, like it has for years. The the volume of you know searches uh, that increases, but the CTR, the click through rate of those searches to other websites, has actually seems to start going down. Now we don't have a huge sample. We have a few thousand companies in our sample. Um, but uh, I wrote a, a thread on this and it went crazy because other people noticed similar patterns in their own data, right? And so I think there's, I, I don't wanna say it's true. Like Google's really the only one that knows, has access to all this data, but it seems like Google is um, sending less clicks per search. So for the benefit of listeners, I'm going to kind of summarize this idea. Collaborative growth is effectively uh, drawing unique, valuable insights, something, some valuable insight or piece of information from your target audience that you can share with others. You're going to create a pillar piece of content. And then from that, you're going to also repurpose and redistribute that across all other mediums that you're on. And the key points there are it's value oriented. It's drawn not from your own perspective, at least only, but it's valuable insights uh, driven from your target audience, the people that you want to market and sell to. You're 
you're partnering with them to leverage unique insights and value that you can share generously with the community. Yep. And then you're going to take those insights and share them natively and contextually anywhere that you quote unquote do marketing or that your audience is paying attention. So that could just be one channel, but for a lot of companies like us, that's a newsletter, that's a podcast, that's other platforms. And in so doing, you are giving sales uh, instead of bothering with a cold, unwanted outreach, it's a chance to participate in something valuable that's going to bring attention to their brand. It's a compliment that you're inviting them to share. It's a true invitation of sharing expertise. It's yep. promoting them and promoting you likewise. And then you're kind of rising all tides by bringing just good, generous value value to the community. And so sale yep. like outbound has more value to take than just a cold pitch and yeah. marketing can lift up other voices instead of just to your illustration earlier, taking the megaphone and shouting into the Coliseum, the same old message. Is that kind of a fair framing of it? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, All right. So let's go through, uh, this is something you, I I'm sure you d did in various bits and pieces and like a lot of things that, you know, the backstory, uh, the places that you've come from have helped shape it, but you did this most prominently. I know John shared a post about this at Databox. It's kind of like the playbook that grew Databox, you know, to 7 million ARR. Can you walk through what that looked like and how that originated? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, we're at seven and a half million ARR. Okay. Sorry. Seven and a half. <laughs> all good. Um, but yeah, so we started doing collaborative growth because I, I knew that some of the approaches worked. Um, I hadn't thought about the psychology as much um, a little, you know, I had a little bit in that, you know, I knew that if I reached out to people and pitched them, I'm going to get a low response rate. If I reach out to people and, and like network and get to know them and ask them questions about what they're working on and ask them if I can feature their expertise, like I would always get a, a higher response rate. So I knew that approach worked from doing it well before joining Databox. Um, what, what we did that was unique um, was a little bit out of necessity because we needed to market our product to a somewhat um, broad uh, audience um, in that our product helps companies pull their performance data from multiple tools into one spot. And so our product only works when you have data pulled in from other tools like Google Analytics, excuse me, like HubSpot, like Search Console, like Facebook ads and Google ads and LinkedIn ads and whatever, whatever CRM you're using, whatever project management tool you're using, whatever customer support tool you're using, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so our tool doesn't work without that data. And what our users, our customers, prospects are looking for is how do I track this data? How do I better report my marketing data? How do I build a dashboard for to look at my sales team's productivity? Whatever, whatever those use cases are. So we just didn't have all of that domain knowledge in-house. And we were largely um, bootstrapped after I joined, meaning we didn't have a lot of cash to go and just say like, Let's just build a big marketing team. We'll go after it. We had to like figure out how do we create content that has expertise, has um, information about those other tools of which we don't know a whole lot about. So we just basically started saying, all right, well, let's reach out to people and see who could contribute to our articles. And 1,300 articles, 1,300 plus articles later, you know, we've we've basically were able to build up our own search volume, our own search traffic. Uh, and our sign-up volume as a result of following largely that playbook. And there's some tweaks to it and we've added things since and, and expanded it and all that. But but that allowed us to build our search traffic. Um, if, if I had to do that now, I don't know that that would work. Uh, in fact, we started getting, uh, you know, the results that we got from that approach started to plateau a bit for our business, at least. We were able to continue growing, but it didn't necessarily help us continue Um uh, we, we were able to continue growing our business, but we weren't, it wasn't necessarily because we were growing our traffic. Now we're doing like 6,000 signups or something like that per month. So it's a large volume. Um, but, uh, you know, we've had to innovate on the model in order to continue growing the business.
Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, The first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like, what's happening in the funnel. It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Yeah, in, in a minute for for listeners that are interested, I'll share um, I'll share an example of kind of what collaborative growth fleshed out now in 2023 looks like. You know, I'll give a specific example yeah. of that because I know listeners want to hear that broken down. But um, I remember, you know, when I first joined, that was one of the first things that you said to me, like, I, I came, you know, asking, what is our point of view, you know, trying to write with expertise. And there were things we even could have been experts at, like that we could have mm -hmm. had a perspective on. But that had like, by that point, that methodology you developed had, was so ingrained that your response to me was like, we like source it from other places still like still feature other voices because we don't ever want to be like the only voice of expertise so i think that was i think it like yeah. started out of necessity but then became i know when you communicate to me it was like core yeah, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a belief now right like yeah i think there are certain things we absolutely have expertise on across the company but and i we do write you know as you know we do write things like that but it's not it's not um yeah, it's not our primary vehicle. Um, and you, I think you even adopted the podcast that way, right? Where you just started interviewing smart people about how do you measure and improve the performance of your business? And so many of them just said, oh, the first step is pull all your data into one spot um, in, you know, it, into a tool like Databox. Whether they were a Databox user or not, they, they, they had to do that. They knew that they had to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so by, I think by getting other people to say, um, thing, what they do, like, and you, and listen to that. And then you build your product around that. Like then the next step is just like leverage that in your marketing, right? Other people are going to, going to support what, what you do. Yeah. 100%. So yeah, I'll, I'll go through an example here. We, we put down the notes to, to cover this because we've, this, this collaborative growth framework or idea, uh, I'm not looking to Pete anymore. I've got my notes pulled to make sure I don't miss anything. Uh, John and Pete kind of worked on John, our, our director of marketing and, and Pete worked on to perfect and to craft this. So if you're listening and you want like a really, really solid, you know, boots to the ground example, I'll go through one, you know, quickly for you here. So, um, so for us, what, what this evolved to was starting with, uh, we decided to, that our origin point, like it, at the end, you need you need something interesting and valuable. You need to take an insight or a piece of data or a hypothesis or a question. Like it's got to start somewhere as an origin point. So for us, we started with benchmark data. We have a free, you know, you've probably heard about it if you listen to this podcast. We have a free uh, benchmark tool. You can go to databox.com forward slash benchmarks. Um, or just Google it, but we have a free benchmark tool where you, where you can go on and see how you stack up against peers. You can see if you're ahead or behind the curve on things, metrics from Google analytics, HubSpot, CRM, HubSpot marketing, things like that. Um, and so what we would do is we would start, we would look in that data, which is crowdsourced at the heart of it. All, you know, the benchmark data comes from anonymized data sources from all these different companies. And so we would start with this um, with data from all these different companies and pose a question or draw a unique insight. So for example, the one I'll walk through here was we looked, we have a benchmark group on the LinkedIn ad performance. 
And we posed the question after looking at the benchmark data, we posed the question like, well, hey, it looks like according to benchmark data, it's incredibly expensive to run uh, performance marketing style ads on LinkedIn. It's, it's evident why companies don't do that, why they give up. The cost per click was extremely high uh, for B2B and, and all these things. But what if you leverage this new way that a lot of companies are talking about, which is impression-based ads or demand creation ads or awareness-based ads, where instead of trying to drive, expecting to drive direct clicks over from the ads, you run it purely impression-based. You're just trying to make sure that the right ICP or the right people at the right companies see the right message. And that instead of tracking direct clicks over, because you're not going to get many, they're not ready to buy or not in market yet. You're just hitting them over and over again with what you do, how you can solve their problem, how you differ from competitors. And then measured through self-reported attribution down the line on your website, three months later, four months later, they start coming in because they remember you from that. So that was the hypothesis or, or like insight we drew from our data. We framed it as a topic and posed a question. We wrote that up as a social post and we sourced insights from our community on social. So we asked the question and then we had all these experts from LinkedIn and marketing leaders and stuff weighing in on it. Then we also ran a survey. So we, we you know, went to ads agencies and B2B marketing leaders and we surveyed them on how they're using LinkedIn to run ads and, and to get insights around LinkedIn impression-based ads. And then we consolidated, we summarized all the community insights from the social post and from the survey into one article. So we took all the X, we crowdsourced all the expertise, consolidated it into one survey and uh, for a quantitative insights and one article for qualitative insights where we quoted them and featured them. And then we recorded a podcast on that same topic, breaking the topic down from a different angle and embedded it in that article. And then of course we wrapped it all up uh, featuring it as a write-up in our newsletter, move the needle, which you can get at databox.com forward slash newsletter. Um, so, <laughs> so, so this was the, uh, this is how robust the process has gotten at Databox and what collaborative growth has looked like from now, from where it began. Yeah. I think, you know, earlier I was talking about how the, like this, our initial process got our, got our SEO going, got like SEO cranking, um, for us. And we started to see some diminishing returns from that. And, and that forced us to think, all right, well, how do we really double down on what's working, which is the collaboration part, right? Uh, and how do we leverage other channels to enable that collab collaboration and um, share our insights? Uh, and I think you just broke it down perfectly in that campaign where we, what was the name of the article? It was uh, something related to LinkedIn uh, impression ads, Impression-based right? ads, Yeah. yeah. So if you Google uh, LinkedIn impression-based ads, data box, does it come out? Let's I'm see. doing it right now. Let's see. <laughs> LinkedIn ads. Oh, first the uh, first the dashboard software yeah, uh, Take that comes step. up. Yeah, I have to dig around for it. I might be getting the title. Yeah. That was the top. That was like the the topic for the brief. I don't know what it ended up getting right. called in the article. Ooh, and you interviewed someone on the podcast, right? Who didn't you interview someone on the podcast for that? Yep, yep. We did a podcast episode on it. We did yeah. the newsletter write up on it, which was great because then the newsletter. Yeah. So you know, so I think the point is that the takeaway from me, at least to other marketers on this topic, Pete's presenting is like, um. If we didn't work with partners, then like you can imagine, like even if we were an expert on LinkedIn ads, if we were a marketing agency running LinkedIn ads, we still only have so many use cases. We still have only so much experience. Like even if we are really good and we've driven given good results, how many times can I as a marketer say the same thing and like, hey, here's the way we do it. Here's the way we right. do it. Here's the way we do it. There's power even in like diversifying. And I, you know, Pete mentioned this earlier. If I was, if we were a LinkedIn ads agency, this would still be beneficial because then we could draw all these insights on and and uh we we would be able to say things like, look at how all these other leading companies that have the lowest cost per click or the highest ROI on LinkedIn ads, this is the way they're doing it. And if you need someone to do it, you know, we can help you do it. So it's like it's not just, I think some people would listen to this and maybe think, well, yeah, you all had to do it. You have like 70 plus integrations. You can't be experts on all those tools and on, all, and on growing all those metrics. Of course you have to crowdsource. I think 
it's important to point to the fact that even if it was a LinkedIn ads agency for B2B, they could have done an article exactly like this and a method exactly like this. And actually it would have benefited them more because yeah. then they everyone who contributed to the survey and who weighed in on the LinkedIn post is yeah. now aware of your agency, which can do the thing that you're talking about. And you're the one bringing everyone around the table together to have the conversation. So it, it helps your outreach. It helps all these things. Yeah, you're the host. You're, you're hosting the conversation. You're not. You're not doing. I think the salespeople are often known as like talking too much. In fact, there's like if you use Gong or Loma or uh, Chorus or whatever, like this, the software will measure how much the salesperson spoke versus the prospect, and like they they write articles about your in, your your close rate will increase if you if you let your prospects you know talk eighty percent of the time on a qualifying call instead of you talking. Okay. Last right. And so I think marketers need to start thinking the same way, like stop talking so much and start listening, start asking more questions, start engaging, let other people tell your story, let other people contribute to your content um, and share your content. And that'll take it a lot further. Um, you'll learn and, a lot more too. And when you do, Pete, Pete said this earlier, we, you know, we've had podcast guests uh, who are not data box users. Uh, he, he said, it, you know, he said a few minutes ago, we've had guests who are not data box users who will talk about bring all your data and view it in one place. Right. Right. The, when you like the, it's important. For, I say this many times in the show, like for credibility and for the people know, cause it matters to me. Like I never, uh, find, I never bring people on because they're data box customers. In fact, one time early on the show, we had, uh, Gabriel who runs uh remotion agency and we were in the interview and he was like, you know, we're like a data box customer. And I was like, no, I didn't know because, <laughs> because it's important to me. People know that I'm not, you know, stacking the deck with people just trying to like do soft sales pitches to you as you're listening. Right. I'm just, I'm having them on because I think they're smart and they can right. share something that helps you listen. But the beautiful thing about that is when you do what Pete's talking about and you let people weigh in, they do champion our point of view. Like if you listen yeah. back over the episodes, people will be like, you need to report performance to your team every week or monthly. Yeah. You need to make your KPIs clear and easy to track. You need to track. We have people talk about the importance of tracking output and outcome uh, correlations right. or leading and lagging metrics. Or we've had people shout from the rooftops about centralizing data in one place. So everyone's not checking 10 different tools for, for how you're performing. Yep. These are not things I like tell them to talk about to sell data box. This right, is what happens do. when you let people do it. And so, yeah, I, th I think this is, so let's get into some examples of this. Um, let's take it away from us um, mm -hmm. in that spirit. You've yeah. been teaching collaborative growth um, to other agencies. Give me a couple yeah. examples of agencies that have leveraged this and what that's looked like for them. Yeah. So, so first of all, for, uh, it, for people that don't know, like a large percentage of our customers are marketing agencies. They use us to report their results to clients. Um, and so they'll produce dashboards and reports uh, that they share with clients in order to keep the client appraised of, of um, progress to goals and um, you know uh, KPIs and metrics that, that are important. Uh, and so about a year ago, we decided to build the second product called uh, Benchmark Groups. Uh, and benchmark groups allows agencies to build their own benchmarks so that they can manage or invite a certain group of companies, including clients and prospects, into a group. And it produces a benchmark that says, you know, your company is performing at, you know, under X, you know, at 82 percent of um, of the group, outperforming 82 percent of the group or or your company is is underperforming the group. Right. It'll it'll tell you that. And so. As part of that, um, I've started teaching uh, agencies behind the scenes, one-on-one -on -one for the most part, uh, and not just me, but with help from the team, how to do collaborative growth and benchmark groups is a part of that. Um, and so we've been working with a handful of agencies and uh, for a few months now. Uh, and so I'll share some examples of companies that are doing collaborative growth with us. Uh, so one of them is Carl Sakas. Uh, he's a um, agency consultant. He consults to marketing agencies, uh, helping them with a, a, a broad range of, of things from positioning through to, you know, managing project deliverables, et cetera. But he's been doing this for decades and has uh, a lot of experience. So we partnered together to um, create a benchmark group for agencies. So he's got his own group of agencies that he works with. So he's invited them in. 
Uh, he also, we also are running a, a survey on how agencies are marketing themselves. And so together, I think we've gotten over 200 respondents to that survey. And I think 90 of those people joined the benchmark group in order to see the survey results and benchmark their performance to, um, to their company. So that's, you know, we're working with Carl to create unique content that didn't exist before. Um, it's not content you could ever, um, you know, write, sit down and write, because it's going to have perspectives and data from 200 different agencies or 200 respondents. Um, and then uh, it's helping him get conversions because we're promoting it and he's promoting. It's helping us get conversions. So we're collaborating that way to get leads. And um, we're going to then take that content and feature it in different places. So we're going to write a, a research report together. Uh, we're going to um, be on, I believe, on this podcast. Um, Carl's actually booked us to go on another podcast, uh, uh, Teamwork, the project management tool software company works with a lot of agencies. So we're going to, he and I are going to go on their podcast and talk about the results. Uh, and then it's already given us fodder for writing LinkedIn posts with perspectives that he and I have on how agencies should go to market. Uh, and, uh, and it'll continue to do that and we'll, we'll continue. So we'll continue to generate leads together and talk about it and, and share the content. So that's working for him. It's helping him build his list and engage with agencies. Same for us. Another one we're doing is with, with an agency, uh, Spot On Agency. Uh, Susie Kelly is one of the owners there at Spot On. Uh, they work um, with healthcare tech software companies. So like software companies that sell um, software to medical practices or hospital chains, things like that. It's a very hard to reach prospect. So it's hard to get doctors on calls hard to get the COO of a, you know, multi-hospital chain on a call. Um, and so the survey that we're running together is how companies, we're doing research on how companies are reaching hard to reach prospects. Uh, and so she's reaching out to healthcare tech companies and saying, hey, your marketing looks great. I noticed these things and I'm guessing it's working. You have great reputation in the, in the market because she knows and she said, could I interview you for an article that we're running, a survey we're, we're doing on how healthcare tech companies and other companies reach hard to reach prospects. And that's enabling her to connect with prospects in a way where she's learning from them uh, as much as they're potentially learning from her. Uh, and then we'll highlight them in our, our articles, our content, so that, that those uh, healthcare tech companies are getting some visibility uh, in in our marketing, right? And those marketers at those healthcare tech companies get to, you know, say, you know, puff their chest and say, hey, I did this and that got featured in this other article, right? Um, so that's the other one we're doing. Another one we're about to launch is uh, one with Penguin Strategies. Penguin is also uh, a marketing agency. They work prim primarily with SaaS companies in Europe and Israel. They're based in Israel. Um, and like the rest, of, like many people, they're they're trying to figure out how do they incorporate AI into their service offerings. And their clients are asking them, how are people using AI for content creation? And they need to answer that question um, and, because they need to figure it out for their own business, but clients are also asking them. And so the research that we decided to do together is asking people how they're using generative AI. So I think we have like a 15 question survey where like 13 questions are multiple choice, things like what tool, what generative AI tools are you using? There's a really long list. Um, did, does it save you time? What parts of your content creation process are you using generative AI for? Do you continue, do you think it'll generative AI will continue to help you produce content uh, more efficiently or not? And then give some, and then asking them examples that they might want to share that we could then feature in, in our report of content that they created. Uh, using generative AI and how they did it and how it worked and and all that. So getting getting both quantitative data through some multiple choice questions as well as qualitative data um, from some open ended questions, and then we'll be doing that research together. So we'll share that with our large list of previous respondents, and they'll share that with their prospects and clients. And as soon as someone takes that survey, they'll get access to the preliminary data uh, so that they can then see what what tools are other companies using. How much time are they saving? What parts of the writing process are they using it for? And of course, we'll go and we'll then write a report and both companies will share that. And we'll probably end up back on this podcast talking about generative AI and whether it makes companies efficient or not. Maybe we'll find a few companies that are really using it well and we can interview them on the podcast.
uh, about it and, and then share our research together. So those are just awesome. a few examples of companies we're doing collaborative growth with um, and teaching them. And yeah, you know, because we've been building our own processes kind of like while we're flying the plane, like we've over the last six months, we've been kind of building out those processes with our partners so that we can efficiently collaborate. Um, and now, and re- one of the reasons we're talking about collaborative growth now, finally, I've been thinking about it for like a decade. Uh, but one of the reasons we're we're talking about it now is because now we're looking for more partners that want to do research with us and and top you know top the market for knowledge and share that back in research reports and build benchmarks together so that we can help companies understand how other companies like them are performing and what they're doing to perform in that way uh, so that they can then take those lessons and run their you know their improve the performance of their company. Yeah. Yeah. These are awesome examples. Um, I think, you know, it sounds like the consistent things or elements, if someone wants to get started, because I want to go to a couple like tips you would have for people who want to get started with this and how they could apply at their company. Mm -hmm. You gave a lot in the examples. So it sounds like a common thread is you've got to kind of determine who you're talking to, like who, like who do you want to reach? You got to pick a market. Yeah. and then, and then you've got to kind of land, it sounds like on a body of content or, or a specific set of content of like questions or, or questions that, 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 that market is burning questions that that market wants answered. Yeah. Like that's, that's a common thread I'm hearing in a lot of these surveys. Like these are yeah. things framed around like, yeah, we would like kill to know this information. Yeah. Um, and then you're basically tapping that market your outreach is not to sell your service but you're tapping that market to invite them to like weigh in on it and and answer it um and then you're going to compile those answers into one place in the example you gave our our new invite only benchmark groups tool is like a way to do that technically people could start they could do it another way they could you know, do their own research data or whatever. Like it's just a tool that pro- provides benchmark data and survey functionality right within the app. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah. Like I think what we're providing with benchmark groups, you can't duplicate because we've built integrations with 70 different tools. So if you want to run a benchmark study where you're trying to figure out how HubSpot customers in a specific market um, are performing, like you could try to do that manually, which will take you for hours, you know, hundreds of hours, or you can in five minutes set up a benchmark group and invite companies to join. And in, in 30 seconds, they join and get access to the benchmark. So it's very quick, a quick way to do collaborative growth. Um, yeah. And built that product because of collaborative growth, because we tr- tested some of these principles out beforehand. Uh, but but I think your point is like, you don't need to do that. You could do collaborative right. growth in lots of different ways. Um, there's a, um, a guy named James Carberry, I believe. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he- Oh, Sweetfish. Yeah, he's from Sweetfish. I think you know of him because you're from the podcast world, right? Yeah. Uh, and you spent some time in the podcast world. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called Content-Based Networking. And it's a very similar concept. And he built his business by launching a podcast. Uh, he sells services to help companies produce podcasts. So, But the idea is that he invites people on his podcast that he wants to hear from who could eventually be clients of his. Um, and so podcast was the center of his, but there's lots of different ways that you can like lots of different pieces of content that you can create in collaboration with your market. So roundups are one of them. And that's where we started, right? It's like ask 20 people, the same open-ended question and weave that into a how-to article or a listicle article, et cetera. Then there's surveys where you ask a bunch of questions, multiple choice and share data. Um, there's podcasts where you invite guests on. Um, there's social, I think people underutilize this one where you just ask questions on social. Um, it's really not that hard. Uh, some of my most popular posts were just things that are like, oh, I wonder what the answer to this question is. And I write out like a little bit of background and ask a question and then honor people kind of weigh in on with their take on it. And so that's a really easy way to get started with collaborative growth is just starting on LinkedIn or Twitter or, um, you know, tapping a list of people that you know and who um, you've helped out in the past and be willing to answer your question over an email with a little Google form, whatever. Um, it doesn't have to get, doesn't have to be complicated. Okay. Awesome. Um, all right. Coming down to the end here, uh, I want to ask a couple like practical, specific questions that I think listeners might have. Um, and then, 
and then we can kind of wrap. So when, when you get all, you know, a core piece of this, of, of this framework you've laid out is crowdsourcing expertise and knowledge. There are two areas I can hear listeners, you know, maybe thinking through in their brains, which is how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? Like, are you being, do you recommend being hyper-targeted toward the ones who you know are killing it? Like, you know, with any industry, right? When you reach out for yeah. answers, you you don't necessarily want to weigh low performer answers as heavily as higher, you know, performing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how do you, how do you prioritize that? And then the, and then the second question uh, was going to be around to what degree sh- do you think companies should layer in their own point of view once the answers are summarized? So if I'm a LinkedIn ad, if I'm Remotion and I'm a LinkedIn yeah. ads agency and I do collaborative growth like you're talking about, and we go to like our flagship thing is the article and we're going to do a podcast and a newsletter. Um, yeah. How much do we as Remotion want to be layering in our point of view and our take on the answers, or do we just want to like put the answers front and center, if that makes sense? Um, yeah. So the first question was like, how do you get, um, how you separate the wheat from the chaff when you're kind of yeah. gathering information from your market or your list of people or whatever. Uh, and the second question was like, should you layer in your own perspective? So yep. on, on the first, the first question, wheat from chaff, I think it's relatively easy depending on what you're doing, but if you're doing a roundup or you're hosting a podcast, you don't want to like, you don't want to feature people who don't know what they're doing. Right. So you should pre-vet them. Like if you're doing a roundup and you're going to feature five to 10 experts in an article, like don't, don't go out, reach out to people who clearly aren't experts on those topics. I think that's like a no brainer. Right. Um, But as soon as you move to like a survey or a benchmark, that's when you actually want both the wheat and the chaff, right? Because okay. you, what you want is the just the natural distribution. Ideally, what you want is the natural distribution of what's happening in the world. So if you're there, then there's statistics that go behind this. But if you want, you know, if you want to understand like how are marketers using generative AI, and you only go and you interview the people who are using generative AI your answers to certain questions just aren't going to be statistically relevant, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to say 50% of marketers out there are using generative AI because you have bias in your sample. You might still be able to, you will be able to say of the people who filled out our survey or of the people who've tried generative AI, these are the five tools they're using most commonly. Like that's a fair thing you could take from that bias, maybe that sample, but you have to be careful about what you're taking. And so you really want as many people as you can. Now that's not easy. It's actually harder to get the chaff to respond okay. and contribute to your content than it is the wheat. Um, but you can work at it. And that's why I think one-on-one outreach works and uh, maybe buying some ads to get your survey in front of people and prop people to take it. Um, you know, using your email list, which is most likely going to be people on a broad range of spectrum of expertise. So um, so it, it's key to, to find different ways to market the market or recruit respondents, I should say. Um, so that's uh, the answer to your first question. As far as your unique point of view, absolutely. Like if you have a unique point of view um, on on the data, I think it's important to share that. If you disagree with some of the respondents, that's totally fine to, to say that. Uh, in fact, I think that makes for better content. One of the things that Google has always guided, but has been more blunt recently about is that um, content that is unique and has um, different uh, is different is going to be more likely to get a shot at ranking. Um, and so, you, sh- you like writing content that's multi-perspective actually is uh, is better than writing single perspective. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, John always talked about that as like multi-perspective content. I think that's something unique about our content, and that we we feature people who disagree uh, with each other and it's civil. <laughs> uh, we're not, we're not picking fights here, but it's no, there's no reason not to share different perspectives. So, and yeah. I think if your perspective is different, that's great. There's one example, like well, the survey we did with Carl Sakis on how agencies market themselves. Um, we asked one of the questions and I'm not going to get this perfectly right. But one of this questions was like, do you, how many people are dedicated to your agency's own sales and marketing? And by far the most popular answer was zero. No one's dedicated. Like it's a part-time thing that we do. Um, yeah. And so 
like I wrote a very quick LinkedIn post that says like agencies colon uh, your company should you know have uh, dedicate ten percent of your budget to of your to marketing right and then and then client says well how much of your budget do you dedicate and agency says zero <laughs> like, yeah. like it's just putting it back in their face that like you out there telling companies to invest x amount of money into marketing and you're not doing it yourself yeah. uh so that is a uh, was yeah so i caught some flack for it i probably pissed off a few people who didn't even tell me about it but that's true like there's there's really no arguing with it um yeah some people would argue that some agencies would argue they don't need to market because they're so good, but uh, that's kind of BS. Yeah, I worked at, um, I mean, that was that way at Lemon Pie at the podcast PR agency. It was like, we can't talk about podcasts and not podcasts. So like we, <laughs> you know, that was like core core to the founder's belief, right. which was, you know, I, I totally agree with. All right, you're going to be subject to what every other guest is, uh, which wow. is this new segment I've been adding, uh, three short form, just three questions, quick okay. answers, uh, whatever comes to mind. Um, there's no right way to answer them. Yeah. Except for the the first one, the, the typical way I ask it is, what are three metrics that you track closely and how often do you track them? But for you, I wanted to frame it this way. It would be more fun because uh, there's a billion things that we track. For you as a uh, SaaS CEO, a, B, yeah. you know, a B2B SaaS CEO, what would be three desert island metrics? You, you pull up your dashboard and nightmare of nightmares, you could only see three metrics. What would be like the ones you would choose? Um, for our business, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the three metrics I would choose if I were in a desert island and was, wasn't able to ping someone and say, hey, how's that metric going? I would say uh, I would start with uh, signups for our product. Uh, we have free product, uh, which you know, but um, we get a large volume of signups and that's an indicator of our, of our uh, indicator of our, our new MRR. Um, the second one would be probably just overall MRR, um, the amount of monthly recurring revenue. Uh, that's basically all of our customers times their, you know, times their monthly spend and added up. Um, and so that one is an important one because we try to manage DataBox to to cash flow break even. So the amount of MRR we have governs where we how much we invest, what we invest in, all that. And so every day I have to. I don't know if I'll do this on a desert island, but every day I have to make decisions on like, do we invest there or not? Um, and so knowing where our revenue is. And then the third one would be upgrade MRR. Um, in any SaaS business, um, there's always customers canceling and that's an important metric too. Um, but that's really steady for us over the years. Um, a similar percentage of customers, we've been able to improve it in certain certain ways but the true way to grow a SaaS business at our size is to have us has upgrade paths um or second products or third products or whatever and so um upgrade mrr is a big one because that gives me a feel for um our our path to 100% dollar retention and when you have 100% dollar retention um you found a really scalable business because it means if you sign up hundred customers and 10 churn, 10 more of those will double their pay and you'll make the same amount of money. And so you can start just stacking your revenue and, and really accelerating your growth. So, um, and we've launched a bunch of new um, higher level plans with more advanced features um, and other products. And so we now have more paths for, uh, and more add-ons I should say, not more products, more add-ons. So we now have more paths for our existing customers to, get more, you know, invest more in our product and get more value out of it. So that's, that's the big one. Love it. All right. This next one is a finish the sentence question, uh, mm -hmm. purposely left open-ended Okay. data is the new oil, the new oil, the new oil. Did everyone, I, I didn't make that up. It's just what came to mind. Someone else said that, I think, yeah, data is the new oil. So what, you know, you, you ever see, um, the movie with, uh, what's his name uh it's like i don't know it's from last century this movie like the 50s or 60s dustin hoffman do you know dustin hoffman um when he was really young he was in a movie and he's a up. young gra the graduate there we go okay. the graduate and he um 
some older gentleman asked him like, you know, what are you doing? And, and he basically is like plastics, plastics is, is where it's at. So like plastics were relatively new. That's all the movie is. Um, and so the plastics are derived from oil, oil, like moves the economy. It still sure. does, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, and so data is the new oil means that like data is the underpinning of the entire economy. And it's like, I don't think anyone would argue with that at this point. Um, you know, finance, the final finance industry is based on the data, but more and more, I think data will, can the value of data will continue to rise. And even in the small business customers that we serve, data is, is, um, is so important to making decisions. Uh, and I think uh, as software and AI enhance, advances, that uh, the combination of data and AI will actually enable companies to run, the, run more efficiently, grow more effectively, et cetera, um, with less effort on their part. And so data is totally the new, the new oil. Love it. Good answer. <laughs> uh your number one tip, the last question, your number one tip for B2B leaders that are trying to drive more predictable, consistent performance. Oof, number one tip for B2B leaders trying to drive. You can more only give one tip. What would it be? Yeah. Go watch our predictable performance, uh, training videos. Um, yeah, that's it. Okay. Cause it, you, cause it gives you like 10 tips on how to do it. <laughs> use the predict. Yeah. I think it's called the predictable performance methodology or course yes. or something. Yeah. Um, data box, predictable performance methodology. If you Google yeah, that, you'll like, find it's it. all, it's all about tracking the performance of your company effectively, setting goals effectively, um, empowering your teams to monitor their own performance and make decisions on how to improve it. And I, and I think technology will, as I said, with the data is the new oil of speech. Like I think technology will will make that process easier over time, specifically AI. Um, and uh, but I still still think a company needs a rigor around how they track their performance, review it, discuss it, make decisions based off of it. And most yeah. companies, small smaller companies are not very good at that. Yeah, yeah, it's true that that framework. Uh, if you go watch it, will give you good. The way I would say it, I've specifically like from all the guests that have talked about the inherent dangers of misinterpreting data is that framework will give you context for numbers. Like it forces you to say, oh, this is an output number. This is an outcome number. This is a leading right. number. This is a lagging number. And yeah. that's context that then will help you avoid misinterpreting the data, which that's, a lot of past guests have talked about. So that's right. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. All right. Uh, so a couple uh, call to actions here. I want to point out, obviously, if you want to keep, if you want to uh, read like 20 posts a day from Pete, go to LinkedIn and follow <laughs> Pete where he posts uh, frequently and all the time. And it's a, uh, he's constantly sharing insights and stuff on there. Um, so if you want to learn, you do write about this topic a lot on LinkedIn, you can go there. Um, yeah, We also will link, uh, we are putting together an article. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you want, this concept in like written form uh, and you want to share it with your team, you want to try and apply this framework of collaborative or yeah, collaborative growth at your team. Uh, open up your show notes in your app right now, uh, Apple, Spotify, whatever you use for your podcast app. There'll be a, a, a link, a few links for show uh, in the show notes and collaborative growth article, tap that and you can go read about this and, and uh, get the insights there. And then the other thing is if you are interested in building a private invite only group, uh, benchmark group, where like Pete said, this is kind of out of the box and done for you. That tool is new. Um, it's just been launched. Uh, we even have a team member ready to like set it up for free for you. It, it's totally free. Your, your data is private and remains anonymized. Um, yeah. We'll provide a link to more information on that in the episode as well. So uh, open up your show notes and check that out. Sweet. Anything Anything to add before we wrap here? No, I'm excited to collaborate with other partners, right? We have, I think we have 40 companies, a little over 40 companies who have built their own benchmark group. I think we've launched um, eight surveys with those partners um, to go, you know, go out and learn something from our mutual um, audiences. And so I'm excited to see who might want to partner with us. I think this might be the first like inbound um, 
partner yeah. program where it's there, like we'll be there to help, but there's also a bit of self-service. So yeah, follow that link that Jeremiah mentioned, and we'll put in the show notes to go and create your own benchmark group. That's kind of the first step. We also have a person full-time dedicated to helping people up, helping our partners set up their benchmark group and start brainstorming on surveys we could do together. So uh, don't be shy. We're looking to partner with companies that are eager to do it. Um, and you know, who are uh, capable of, of, you know, recruiting 50, hundred people to respond to a survey. Um, and so we can build some unique, uh, unique, we can gather some unique insights and build some unique data sets together. Awesome. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're like, okay, I get it. I need like, this idea sounds logical. It sounds good to me, but I don't have the bandwidth to like do it all from scratch. Uh, yeah. Pete, Pete's building a team that is ready to help you. So yeah, I think a lot of people are intimidated about running like a, a survey in order to create content. Um, and, and so we've tried to make it easy. We have some systems and processes that we do some best practices we've identified and baked into our process. And so if you're, if you're nervous about designing a survey or nervous about how you might promote it, like talk to us and we might be able to, uh, help you realize it's not that hard. I think with the Carl Seca survey, we got like 200 respondents with, um, Susie's a, uh, from spot on agency focused on health tech. I think we have like 70 responses. So like we're, we have a system for getting responses and we can teach you what that looks like. So. Awesome. Pete, thanks for coming on, uh, to your own show and sharing this information. Um, yeah. We'll uh, we'll probably chat again sometime in the coming quarter or two. I'm, I'm sure of it. I hope so. Yes. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.